Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you've been reading the site for a while, you've probably seen um, some content written by a guy named Kyle Eschenroder. He's a business owner, owns a company called Startup Bros, where he and his partner train individuals how to start their own online business. But besides being an entrepreneur, Kyle reads deeply and he thinks deeply about a lot of important topics uh, on how to live the good life. The two pieces of content that he's written for The Art of Manliness that have resonated with a lot of readers was the first one is about the myths of taking action. It's about the excuses we give tell ourselves that prevent us from taking action we know we need to take. And the other one was on how to thrive in uncertainty. It's taking on this idea that in modern life, we've deluded ourselves into thinking that we have more control over a lot, our lives than we think we do. And we have this, um, there's an app for that mentality, right? With a click of a button, you can solve any problem. The reality is there are some things in life that we just have no control over. And the trick is, is figuring out how to create a life that not only can survive that uncertainty, but can thrive in it. And that's what that article talks about. And I brought Kyle on to the podcast. I want to discuss these topics in detail and get uh, really deep into it. So that's what we're going to do today. Really great conversation. I think you're going to like it. So without further ado, Kyle Eschenroder on Thriving in Uncertainty. Kyle Eschenroder, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brett. I'm uh, looking forward to it. So you've contributed some articles on our site that uh, have really impacted a lot of people. We get emails about them all the time. Um, but before, and we're going to talk about some of the themes you've written about in these articles. Uh, I'd like to really have this discussion with you. But before we do, let's talk about your background because it's really interesting and pretty unconventional. Can you tell us how you became this uh, philosopher entrepreneur guy that you are? Oh man, I uh, I've always read deeply. I think um, I, I started day trading under a mentor in high school, um, and in order to do that, you you've it, it's very emotionally trying. Uh, so getting into uh, meditation and philosophy is kind of uh, a natural progression for anybody who who does that. Um, I went to I went to college and. Uh, uh, continued to trade and uh, started to dabble in startups. I got involved with uh, GrooveShark.com early on, um, and and really was excited by the potential in value creation that you can uh, the, that 
uh, a startup can have. Um, and so it, it seemed to me one of the best ideas, you know, these ideas that I was studying um, as an extension of trading, um, you could really have a bigger effect in the real world through uh, startups. So that's, that's where the uh, kind of entrepreneurial part came in. Um, and, and really, you know, early on, it was more self-development uh, uh, focused stuff and, uh, you know, self-help stuff. Um, and I think, you know, if you read enough of that, you start to uh, question question their premises um, and, and realize that they haven't really, you know, and I say they broadly, but uh, uh, you need to look at, you know, maybe why you're doing something or what's at the core of this, um, what need is this fulfilling? Um, and that is kind of where you, you get down into uh, more, I guess, intense philosophies. So is, is that what got you into researching and studying, studying and writing about philosophy, just trying to find some balance to the uncertainty that you find in startup culture and day trading? Is that what it was? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a great uh, balancer, but also a driver. You know, um, it, it, if you're just going to be an entrepreneur and that's the only thing you're focused on, you're still, you'll still create value, um, but you, you don't have... As, as solid of a foundation or perspective on what you're building, um, the society that you're building it in, uh, and how you can kind of do the most good. All right. So you can read these personal development books, right? And a lot of people do. I do. They're, they're often very practical and there's always the bullet point list of things you can do right now to apply to your own life or to your own business. Um, but how does studying things like the uncertainty principle or Nietzsche or Seneca how has that made you a better businessman in your day-to-day, I'm talking practical brass tax level? Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think these things give you a great um, grounding in dealing with people um, and in dealing with struggle, gaining perspective. So, uh, so, so you know, honestly, <laughs> honestly, Brett, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who don't read a lot, who don't have a strong foundation in Nietzsche, um, who are much uh, much better uh, entrepreneurs than than me. You know, I, I think of um, I think of Steve Jobs, I think of John Rockefeller. Um, these guys are, are famous for for reading very little. I mean, Carnegie barely read, um, and and so um, I think the the difference that the, it, it depends on what you're doing so in the businesses um, that I've been involved in I deal with people a lot um, and for me it's very important to have an understanding of where I'm headed so um, you know uh, every day I can I can you know communicate to people more directly kind of the vision um, and how we sit as a company um, in, in the community, in our society today, the good that we're doing, um, maybe more fully than somebody who hasn't read as widely. But um, I, I do hesitate to say that, you know, as far as uh, an entrepreneur creating um, uh, R- ROI, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it has a direct impact. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. Because I, I love how you as a businessman, you're, you're thinking of the bigger picture. Oftentimes there's this cult of the startup and internet businesses where it's just about making enough money for yourself so you can live the dream, travel, be location independent, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
my, my question is, how do you get past that where you, there's this filter bubble, bubble where everyone's just talking about, okay, here's what it, here's what's about me. Here's what I can do for me. How do you see startup cultures and businesses taking on a bigger approach and actually having an effect on the community around them? That's that's really interesting. Um, that's a that's a really interesting question. I think um, it, it it may be a natural cycle, um, and and I'm that's kind of what I'm hoping on is that this kind of obsession with location independent entrepreneur um, is almost wearing itself out, exhausting itself, um, because there's so many people who have accomplished that now who are, you know, they're empty. They don't, they realize that this is not the best way. They realize it's not as easy as, you know, four hours a week. It takes full-time commitment. Um, that you, you take on massive responsibilities. Um, and, and also, you know, once, once you hit a certain um, level, you you realize that the, the only way that you can be fulfilled is by helping other people truly, um, not not in a uh, the kind of empty way that that many of these businesses uh, go about it. Um, and honestly, Brett, I mean, if you look you look around at the the businesses that sustain themselves. Very few of those kind of, you know, get a business up and running so I can create passive income and then forget about it and go, you know, live uh, live my life in I don't know Hawaii or whatever. Um, they they I've I've watched a lot of them. This whole kind of um, group of people just put st- you know throw stuff up and uh, and fizzle out immediately. The only people that have staying power to be true entrepreneurs are um, ones that do want to create something um, that's bigger than just them. Um, Yeah, as much as we want to talk about it, as much as entrepreneurship can be broken down into steps or, you know, made, made, you know, systematized, um, it's always hard. Business is is one of the most abstract things you can do. It's extremely difficult to to create something lasting. Um, And and, uh, yeah, unless unless people have that kind of drive um, to do something bigger than themselves, it's not going to last. And so um, I guess my my answer to you is I think it's taking care of itself. (laughs) Nice. Sort of like natural selection. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That brought up an interesting point. One of the things I find about people who are into entrepreneurship and startups, they love starting things. You know, they get really excited about starting new projects. And I have some acquaintances who call themselves serial entrepreneurs, you know, they're all, cause they're always starting something new and it's always exciting to start something new. But if you're that type of person who loves to start things, how do you make the transition to, okay, I started something, it's gaining momentum. It's got some teeth. How do you transition to managing and maintaining that business for the long haul? Yeah, and so that's um, that's where you have kind of two options, and this happens at at every level, from people starting, you know, um, blogs to people starting multi, you know, companies that end up being valued at billions of dollars. Um, there, there, there comes a point when you decide to become a manager or to leave the business. Um, so this. You know, once you develop a business, this has happened with uh, Startup Bros, um, the company that I started with, uh, my friend Will. Um, it has gotten to the point after a couple of years that it's taken on a life of itself, it, it, its own. We're no longer a startup. Um, we're now managers. We're now managing growth. We're now feeding this um, separate thing that has its own life now. Um, and and there's less freedom in it. Uh, there, There's, you know, 
there it, it, it's um it's a completely different mode um and so you have to either decide whether you want to switch modes whether you want to become um a manager and and deal with the grind or if you want to go look for you know the next startup opportunity um, and like I like I said, you know, uh, a lot of startups in Silicon Valley investors pressure these um, these startup uh, CEOs um, at a certain point to to uh, you know either they, they they need to leave or get trained in you know serious uh, management, um, and and uh, it's not a transition everybody can or wants to make. Yeah, maybe this is just me. I, I feel like with this whole startup culture where startups are really sexy, it's fun, you get the the Nerf guns at lunch and you get food cater in. I feel like management part, right, gets de-emphasized. People who, their talent is telling people how to do things efficiently and getting things done and maintaining the the momentum that a startup person has started. They're sort of like the the unsexy dork at the dance who hides in the corner. But those people have incredible value. Yes, yeah, and I think um, you're pointing out something that I, I like to call kind of, uh, the sexy tax um, that you pay if you want to do if you want to do the thing that's being celebrated by culture, you have to deal with um, uh, generally decreased returns um, and increased competition, um, and so you know there's there's you know. Uh, startup culture, it only celebrates like a very few young billionaires or, uh, you know, or then on the other side, it celebrates these like teenagers that are all starting businesses. Um, and, and I've actually, I've been involved in these startup shows. Um, and, and th- there's, you know, we actually get approached by these television studios, these produ- production houses that are trying to launch startup um, real, you know, the real world, what are they called? Uh, you know, the real world of startups basically. Um, and, and everyone fails because the, uh, the highlights are, like you said, it's the very beginning, it's the initial exciting ideas. Um, and then it's like the IPO or, um, when you sell to Facebook or Google, um, but everything in between is, it's just agony. It's just sitting at a computer, typing, programming, desperately trying to sell your services. Um, it's boring. And it's, uh, like you said, it's just, it's not exciting. Um, and so, so when people kind of have this Hollywood idea of what it is to be a startup entrepreneur, they, um, they act on these kind of abstract ideas that they have of what uh, an entrepreneur should be instead of actually focusing on what does my business need from me today? How do I build this thing into something real? How do I provide value? Um, and those are kind of the boring questions that, that nobody's going to make a, a, a show um, on, but those are the things that actually grow businesses. Yeah, I, I've encountered this paradox or this problem in my own life. So in my backyard, I have some land. So I decided to build a trail through it. It was really, really fun blazing the trail. I have this awesome machete that I was cutting through all the weeds, the thistles and the thorns, and it was great to see my progress. Then winter came and I didn't go out there. Uh, Then I came back in the middle of the spring and it was all overgrown. And I was like, crap, I've got to maintain this thing now. And maintaining it is not, not fun at all. Right. And that's what you have to do for decades. It takes, what, a year to, to build the thing, and that's exciting. You get to see progress. And then the rest is just fighting off decay, entropy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this just isn't something that applies to business, but also applies to someone uh, with their personal development. You know, it's always fun to start a new goal. Oh yeah, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start journal writing. I'm going to be awesome. Then you get into the grind and you've got to keep doing it. And right. And that's where the payoffs, the payoffs only come after, after that grind, after that, uh, getting through that super boring plateau where you get to the next, uh, you know, peak or whatever. Yeah. Let's talk about one of the articles you wrote for us last year. Uh, today we still get emails and letters about it. It was 10 overlooked truths about taking action. And a lot of people talk about taking action on the web. Deeds, not words, carpe diem, take action, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> As they, they write that on their Facebook profile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But people still have a hard time taking action on their intentions, their goals, their dreams. I mean, why is that? Why is it so hard? I mean, you feel really motivated at the beginning of the day, but taking that motivation, actually turning it into action is, is really hard for folks. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is, that's the tough question that, um, that I, I can't really answer. And I don't think, um, anybody really can, or maybe even should. So, I mean, there's, there's an infinite amount of, of good reasons, probably, you know, not to good rationalizations. Um, one of the most interesting ones I came across recently came from, uh, Mark Manson. And he said, uh, he calls it the Manson principle that we don't do things, um, that threaten our personal identity, even if they, uh, even if it would, you know, make us better. Um, and so we just, we kind of have this uh, homeostasis, um, to use a term from Ludwig Sundstrom, that, uh, that, that sticks us where we're at. There's this, there's an infinite amount of forces hitting us from different directions. Um, and so I think my suggestion um, and, and, and kind of what the article is attempting to do um, is to trick us out of, you know, pointing out these reasons um, and, and, and tricking ourselves to take action anyway. So, um, you know, I, 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 you, um, you know, Freudian, uh, what are they, psycho, psychoanalysts have had a, um, a pretty terrible success rate um, in fixing people because they're so obsessed with, you know, finding these, these hidden causes. Um, and, and, and a lot of times it might be more helpful just to, uh, you know, forget about them, not worry about them. Um, and so that's where I, I kind of think we should try to trick ourselves into taking action, um, even though it feels like there might be reasons not to. So what are some myths that people have about action? Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think um, one of the most interesting ones to notice um, is that people believe um, things like motivation, passion, purpose, courage, um, you know, reasons, justifications, or even planning always must precede action. Um, when in fact, all these things more naturally um, follow uh, action. And, and once you can kind of, it's a difficult, it's very, very difficult to believe because we're so wired to um, believe the opposite. But once we can wrap our heads around that, um, and once we prove that to ourselves, it becomes extremely easy to um, take the, those actions that we know we should. Yeah, yeah. You see that again and again on the internet. Everyone is always talking about, you've got to follow your passion, find your passion. You know, people even put up the memes on their Facebook profile or Tumblr, or, you know, they got their totem animal where it says, I'm, I'm the gym beast. 
I'm going to be awesome. Then they don't do anything. They don't go to the gym. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I know it, it, if you've not noticed this, it, it tends to be the most out of shape people who know the most about fitness, who know the most about exactly what exercises to do to get X results. Um, they, they tend to have this extreme book knowledge, um, but then just forgot that, that kind of vital, that vital part that means, you know, go to the gym. Right. Go to the gym and get started. Yeah. So you see this not just in business, but uh, with their personal development, people have these goals and they feel like if I want to lose weight, I've got to get motivated. And once I get motivated and I feel like it, then maybe it's going to be a breeze, but that's not how it works. Right. And, and, you know, I need to get motivated uh, and I need the perfect plan. You know, once I have, have just this, this perfect plan um, and the perfect outfit um, and the perfect gym partner or whatever, then I'll do it. But, uh, but the, it, it never happens, you know. And, um, and any of those people who get, if they have a friend that's good enough to drag them to the gym for, you know, a week consistently, those people are motivated. They now, all, the, all those abstract barriers to entry have been deleted and they, uh, they understand that it just means going to the gym and sweating. Yeah, Stephen King is a great example of just doing it. I mean, you don't have to be motivated. You you don't have to have the perfect everything. He just wrote. When he wrote Carrie, uh, he was living in a really small house and he would just write on the kitchen table in the corner while his wife was banging pots and pans in the kitchen and it, it didn't matter. He wrote the book. And a lot of people think, well, if I'm going to start a business or write this blog post, I need to do my ritual. And here's my little thing that I got to have, and it's got to be perfectly set up. And I have to have my headphones and my background music and my binaural beats. And then the motivation and the inspiration will just come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. It, it, and it's it's just so ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that that tricks us into this is like this this endless uh, supply of clickbait that says this will maximize your productivity and this will maximize your productivity and if you you know if you're going to be a writer you need your walls painted this color um, and and really when you look at anybody like I have this book called Daily Rituals it's a, a couple hundred people that are you know these artists and and just high achievers in in many different creative areas uh, and every one of them have different rituals and they were all developed over time as people found out their own personal needs um, and, and so you know no every every writer who is uh, it will will tell you that you don't sit down and just know exactly what you're going to say. You sit down and you try really hard to say something. It usually comes out terribly. Then you have to go back and edit it. You know, it's it's uh, it's very messy. It's very messy. Um, so yeah, you know, they they people. We're so hungry for answers. People feed us answers, and then we're, you know, uh, then we we paralyze ourselves when we can't kind of, uh, you know, set up this perfect instance. Um, when, in, when, in, when in reality, it's the equivalent of going to the gym and sweating, just sitting down, writing garbage until something golden comes out. All right. So there's also this big emphasis on goals, and I'm a big fan of setting goals for myself. But how can goals get in the way of taking action? Yeah, and so. I, I do, you know, before we get into that, I want to, uh, I want to say that goals work really well for a lot of people. I know a lot of people who have a lot of success with goals. Um, for me, they haven't done 
uh, they, they, they didn't work as well. Um, and I think they, a lot of people get stuck with goals um, because they rely on a kind of fantasy future um, and, and deny the present moment. Um, so, so, you know, every day you go to the gym and you're um, still chubby, you're failing, you know, um, because your goal is to be ripped or to be, you know, X pounds. So every day that you go, it's, it's not motivating to know that you're behind schedule. Um, and then when you do hit that goal, when you do get ripped, let's say, um, you have to immediately set a new goal that you're then failing at and start to achieve that one. So say maybe it's bulking, you know, um, and in the gym. So, so it's always, just kind of you're set up for disappointment and failure. Um, and so a, uh, a fix for this was uh, actually suggested by the author of Dilbert, the Dilbert comics, Douglas Adams, or not Douglas Adams, I'm sorry, Scott, Scott Adams. Um, but yeah, he, he suggests setting up a system. So if you want to, if you're, you know, you have this general aim to get ripped, Instead of saying, I'm going to have 4% body fat by the end of two months, you say, I'm going to go to the gym for one hour every day, um, you know, four days a week. So you set up a system. And every time you implement that system, you're succeeding. Um, and so you, you spend the whole time that you're on the right track winning. Um, and like we are talking about action before, that then shocks you into um, appreciating the actions being taken instead of just the results, obsessing on this kind of um, abstract outcomes of, uh, of uh, actions taken now. So process-oriented as opposed to results-oriented. Right. Right, right. Now, one thing you mentioned planning is that planning can get in the way of taking action, but doesn't, shouldn't it play some role? in your business or in your personal life? I mean, what role does planning and deep reflection fit into this ideal of action? Right. And uh, yeah, Brett, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because that's one thing that um, the article really didn't deal with um, and that it's, it's, it's difficult to, uh, to talk about uh, when you want to balance two ideas. Sure. So, so um, the goal of the article was, you know, there's 10 overlooked truths about taking action. Um, and so the reason I wanted to really dig into helping, uh, helping us understand what action is so that we can put it into a more healthy context. Um, and then a lot of people kind of mistook that as I should always be taking action. Thinking is terrible. Planning ahead, terrible. Um, when I, obviously that's, that's just not the case. So um, my, my suggestion is to... Um, you know, it, it, there's no, there's no one size fits all. So, so, you know, if you're planning out a, you know, a, a trip to Mars, if you're Elon Musk team planning out a trip to Mars, you need every detail exactly right, because there's going to be very little improvisation you can do, um, from earth to, to help that mission out. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, on the other end is we were just talking about the gym, going to the gym. You don't need any plan to get in a better shape than you are today. So, so yes, um, you know, reading a fitness book might be helpful um, and, and creating a plan might help you um, stay consistent. 
But going today, doing that thing now is going to um, kind of invigorate the plan that you do create um, and give you better context for it. Um, so the business version of this is the lean startup methodology. And this is especially true of software companies, um, not companies with you know complex supply chains and and require huge investment up front. But you basically like you create an MVP, which is a minimum viable product. What is the smallest thing that we can create to test this assumption that we're making about our business? Um, and then so you, you you plan minimally, and then you take action, um, and then that allows you to. Um, take advantage of both sides of the coin. So you get all the advantages of taking action, like, like watching new opportunities emerge, watching um, you know, unforeseen problems pop up um, without as large of an initial investment. Um, but at the same time, you have, you, have, uh, you, you have this minimal plan that is driving you in the right direction. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents, to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, so one of the first things I did, I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. 
Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. So it depends on the context, right? Yes, yes. And I would say, you know, and for all of us in our individual lives, it's always less than you think. It's always, um, you know, less. You, you need to less read less books than you think. You need to read less blogs than you think. Um, when, when you're risking very little, you need very little planning. Got you. Now, one reason that a lot of people don't take action, and you wrote about this, is uncertainty. They're surrounded by uncertainty. They don't want to make that investment in the business because they don't know if they'll, it'll be a success or you know, who knows how the economy will change. With our ever-changing modern world, things are just speeding up because of technology. Um, things are unstable and always changing. So how should we manage our life and career in the face of such uncertainty? Yeah, I think um, one thing that is extremely helpful to do um, initially, um, and this just helps you emotionally deal with uh, uncertainty, is to differentiate between um, the uncertainty that you feel versus the uncertainty that actually exists. So you don't have to feel uncertain about a situation just because that situation isn't 100% likely to happen. Um, so, so once you differentiate between those two things, um, it makes everything else a little bit easier. Um, and Brett, yeah, I know, I know you're a, a fan of Stoicism, um, and the Stoics recommend um, one really interesting tool for, for dealing with uncertainty, um, and that is the triad of control. So as you go through life, you can separate situations or events into three parts. Um, they're either in your control, out of your control, or partly in your control. So something that's in your control is the effort you put into something. Um, something that's outside of your control um, would be, you know, is your business going to, is the company you work for going to stay in business? Um, and then a mix would be like um, you getting the job or getting into that school or um, having success with this business because you can put in everything um, and that kind of tips the odds in your favor. But, um, but it may, it may not absolutely 
um, get you there. So once you've separated things out like that, you can then um, totally focus on um, and, and do your best to tie your emotions to things that are in your control. So, um, and that goes back to the systems. Um, if you tie your emotional life to completing your system successfully that day, then you are, uh, you're more likely to have the, uh, the grit that, uh, that, that's needed to uh, get through possible failures and, and stuff like that. So besides the emotional resilience, and I think that's really important in the face of uncertainty, but how do you, what do you do about it on an operational level or tactical level, I guess? What, what can you do to manage the uncertainty so you're not on the bad end of it, you know, so you can adapt? Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, you, you wrote a great post on this too, um, based on Taleb, the Beyond Sissy Resilience, I believe. Um, and and there's, there's two big ways um, that you can expose yourself to the upside. That is, you don't know what's going to happen, but you're setting yourself up to take advantage of something crazy happening because you know that that in the future there are going to be um, kind of wild shifts, especially now um, that's increasing with um, the increasing rate of technology like you mentioned. So um, the first way to do that is to increase your optionality. Um, so, so that means give yourself more options to select from so when the time comes, you can make the best, most advantageous choice. Um, examples of this would be uh, having savings in the bank. Um, so, you know, if a, a business opportunity comes or investment opportunity comes, you, maybe you can jump on that. Um, uh, going to parties that you might not want to go to um, just because you are then exposed to interesting people who might be able to affect your life in a positive way. Um, learning new skills that could be useful in the future. Um, and then also just, uh, I hate, I really don't like talking about perspectives, but, but shifting your perspective to um, be open to the uh, opportunities that come up, um, that increases your optionalities like crazy. Because if you're just focused on, you know, what, what you believe to be um, worthwhile today, you're going to be blind to, you know, um, what might be the next big thing or, or, or this wave that you're sitting on that you don't even realize it. So um, just shifting your perspective to noticing um, new options. Um, and then another way that, that we can take advantage of this uncertainty instead of kind of uh, having it bear down on us is making small bets or, or making small experiments. Um, so an example of this is like the MVP that we, we talked about. This is how startups take advantage of this uncertainty. Um, investors know for, in general, they don't know what startup is going to be the next Facebook, the next Google. Um, and so they have to um, invest in many different businesses. Um, and they like to see a business that, that, that does believe that they know what's right, what, uh, what the future looks like. But then they also want to be able to see that a business can pivot. So if, if their business model is disproven, they should be able to create something new, create something um, that based on what they learned from their failure will then uh, uh, help them win. So, um, and then, you know, in our, in our everyday life, kind of, you know, in, you know, if you're looking for a girlfriend, making small bets is, is talking to multiple girls at the same time. 
um, you know, for for our blog at Startup Bros. Um, when we decide what what kind of program that we want to put together next, the training program, um, we use blog posts to gauge the demand for that type of project. So we make small bets to know what we should double down on. All right, going back to optionality, I think a lot of people, particularly young people, misinterpret this as keeping your options open. And what ends up happening is that they don't make a decision. They have all these different choices and they don't actually take one because... There's, they still want the options available for them at some time when something doesn't doesn't pan out. They want to maximize their choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you balance? How do you maintain optionality while still getting going in life and making decisions and making progress? Oof, that's a that's a good question. Um, I, I think that it's um, that it's appreciating that the world is not totally uncertain. Um, and so it's not like the goal of life isn't optionality. It's not just about having options open um, because the things that you decide on, that's where there's depth. So optionality is kind of your, your width. Um, but, but there's, it's important to have uh depth. So, so that's, I, I think that that kind of model might be helpful. Um, or, or yeah, that's, that's how, uh, that's how I think about it. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's difficult to, um, to measure. I think, um, necessity, um, forces people into that depth, you know, so you see, you know, you talk about young people, um, it's young people that aren't forced into, um, having to create something now. Um, and uh, they, they, they're kind of, honestly, they're trying to um, hack their way to this, this, this place of, um, of, of, like you said, not deciding, of, of not committing. Um, and so, yeah, optionality is not commitment. Um, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's, a, that's the best I got. Got you. All right, so speaking of hacking... The most recent article you wrote for us was called Stop Hacking Your Life. And it went after the the whole hacking culture. And we're not talking about computer hacking. We're talking about life hacks. And I I feel like that's one of those things that's eating itself and it's slowly going away to a certain extent. But you make the case that there are two approaches to life hacking. Uh, What are they and how can one of them be detrimental to our development? Yeah, I think... um... I think you're absolutely right about it, it eating itself up. Um, but so I think there's, there's, two, there's two kind of relationships or postures that we have towards hacking. Um, so you're either hacking, you know, in order to achieve uh, an aim or to, to, to get a certain outcome. Um, and so that means you're, you know, when you go to look up the best way to, to, uh, to tie a tie, you do that when you need to tie a tie. Um, you have an awesome video on that, by the way. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah. And so it, it, it focuses you on things that you're going to use now that are specific to your situation. You're optimizing for a specific outcome. Um, and then the kind of unhealthy posture is hacking for hacking's sake which is kind of this perverse meta-hacking. Um, and, and it's where hacking becomes the primary instead of the result that the hacking was supposed to get you. Um, so, so, you know, an, an example of this is, you know, um, scrolling through Lifehacker, just collecting articles on things that you 
pr probably don't do, you don't need to do, but they're like, they just blast you with this clickbait of here's the answer to this question that you didn't know you had until just now. Here's like a hundred ways that you'll never use to, uh, to live a happier, better life. Um, it ends up just, like you said, frustrating the, the user. Um, and, and then they realize that the, uh, their life actually doesn't get better because they're not, um, the, the goal is optimization itself. And when you optimize for, um, I like to look at it as a multiplier. Um, so, so when you optimize for something, it's, it, it multiplies on that number. But when you optimize for um, no reason or for life in general, which is impossible, you're optimizing for zero. Um, and, and that is uh, totally frustrating and ineffective. Yeah. Have you read any uh, G.K. Chesterton? Oof. I've, I've read one, uh, one piece and it was, I believe it was one of your, uh, man votationals. Man votionals. Yeah. Yeah. So he's this fierce critic of Nietzsche. His critiques are fascinating. They're really well-written. He's a great writer, super funny. And in one of his chapters in his book, Orthodoxy, he's a, he's a Christian writer. Uh, in Orthodoxy, he goes all over the place. But in this one part, he talks about when cultures or organizations start focusing on efficiencies, it means they've run out of big ideas. That's, yeah, that's a, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think that's what happens particularly with business. They just focus on optimizing. We got to optimize our website so we can get more subscribers. We're going to increase our opt-in rate by 0.4%. Right. I'm like, what's your big idea? I mean, what else are you doing? I mean, at, at that point, you don't really have one. They're just trying to squeeze out as much as they can from this thing and they've, that they've already done. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But at the, end, the same time, it distracts you from the bigger picture um, of trying to create something better and bigger than you had before. Yeah, and I think um, one one kind of illustration of what you just mentioned is uh, demand media, which was basically, it's just like, media company created by, I believe, the founders of MySpace. And it was all based on creating content uh, uh, based on big data. So they just, you know, would would measure, you know, what is trending at all today, yada, yada, yada. And then they create just very quickly, very crappily create some piece of content that uh, maps onto something that uh, some big data system <laughs> suggested. And, uh, and it, it and it just is terrible. Nobody wants to read it because there's no soul. There's uh, there's nothing there. Um, so yeah, I, I I believe in that wholeheartedly. Um, that's a that's a tough balance because you know there there's information that you do want to use. Like you do want to make sure that you uh, maximize conversions, um, but only to the point that you're not giving up um, what's truly valuable. And uh, yeah, and Brett, I gotta I gotta say you. Uh, one reason I love Art of Manliness so much is because uh, you, more than maybe anybody else in this, I don't know, quote-unquote industry, has uh, uh, refused these kind of perverse incentives and uh, kept, kept data in its place. Well, I appreciate that. And honestly, the reason I don't really pay much attention to it because it bores me to tears. Right. Yeah. Hacking your life. How can it hurt you in the long run if that's all that you're focusing on and optimizing your life? I mean, it brings you short-term benefits for sure, but in the long run, are there detrimental effects? 
Yeah, and they're they're very uh, insidious, I would say, because like you said, because you get benefits up front and it feels like, oh my God, I'm optimizing my life, which means I'm optimizing literally everything I do. So this is uh, this could never be a, a, a waste of time. Um, when when it, it's it's not only just a waste of time, um, it's it's it, it puts you in a bad posture towards life, um, and so. In the article, I'll go through very quickly, but there's um, kind of there's there's six ways that it, it, it kind of perverts your um, perspective, um, and that is one that it assumes that effort is failure because um, hacking is always trying to find the easiest way out. Um, so it its aim is at whatever means less less uh, effort, um, and then it. It forces you into bad decisions because it overvalues hype and undervalues the old and effective. Um, so, so anybody who uh, who pays attention to fitness, I don't know. I honestly don't know how people still read new books that come out about nutrition because it seems like every six months they they negate what they said the time before, um, and 99% of us know very specific things that we could do to make ourselves more healthy, you know, be it going and exercising, or eating some more greens, or eating less ice cream, or like stop smoking. It doesn't matter how much organic stuff you eat if you're still smoking cigarettes. So, um, uh, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner in investing, has this idea. He says, take a simple idea and take it seriously. Um, and I think that would get us past a lot of hype. Um, another thing, it puts us in the posture of aimless optimization. So like I said, you know, when you optimize for zero, you... Uh, still left with zero. Um, the hacking posture, it makes us constantly worried that we're using too much time. So we have this anxiety about literally, like if something takes an hour, we feel like it should have taken 20 minutes or something. Like if we knew just the right way to do it, um, we could have done it faster. Or we, you know, so, and that's what stops people from starting businesses is they, they keep deluding themselves because people keep promising them ways that, you know, a painless way, a turn key system to start a business. Um, if there was truly a turnkey system then uh, that didn't require any personal effort, um, that company would just be a manufacturer of that type of company. Um, it also makes you dependent on perfect circumstances. You mentioned Stephen King. If you're, you know, if you're trying to hack your life, find the, you know, optimal uh, environment to write in. You'll never start writing. Um, and then finally, it favors irrational rationality. Um, and actually, you know, you came off of this, uh, uh, you, you just wrote a great piece on Nietzsche, and uh, you, you mentioned this in that piece, and I thought that was super interesting, that he feared, when he said God is dead, um, he, 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 his true fear was that our sense of meaning was going to be destroyed because um, of this new obsession with science taking kind of God's place in a way, um, and and. It absolutely has, you know, there's, uh, you know, depression is uh, more prevalent than ever because it's just, you know, we, we think that everything falls into rationality. We think that everything is explained by the material world um, when it absolutely can't be. We need something. Um, so the, the antidote to this is to, you know, 
dose yourself with uh, rational irrationality. Um, and, and Joseph Campbell, who's famous for the hero's journey, um, he, he even said that, you know, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, rational irrationality is essentially the key to becoming the modern hero. The modern hero is someone who can create meaning by caring for something um, more than it rationally or reasonably should be cared about. Um, so I know I, I blew through those, but those are, those are all ways that uh, this kind of hacking posture can, uh, can really mess us up. That's awesome, awesome stuff. So there seems to be an underlying theme in all your writing and thinking. What do you think it is? Oh man! And so, <laughs> you you mentioned this. You made me do some uh, soul searching. Um, yeah, and and honestly, I'm probably the least qualified person to uh, answer this question. But um, my my best idea is um, I'm I'm kind of trying to continue the project of uh, of self trust or shocking ourselves into uh, self trust. Self trust. I like that. Now, you mentioned one of my favorite guys, Charlie Munger. He's really big on this idea of developing mental models in order to thrive and take action. And I love his idea because mental models, models are just different ways of looking at the world. A mental model is a legal mental, can be a legal mental model, an economics mental model, biology can be a mental model. And you can take these different things and approach them to any problem in life and find insights, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Are there topics or areas of studies or disciplines that you think folks should focus on in order to build these mental models to help them be more effective managers, thrivers in the uncertain? Yeah, that's um, you. You mentioned a couple of them. I mean, I think you know the big standards that that uh, Munger mentions are you know physics, biology, psychology, um, engineering, and history. You know, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg will tell you that. Um, Programming is the essential model, um, and and you know I like I like to use philosophy a lot as well as you know biology um, and economics specifically, um, but but I think you know the, my my recommendation to people is to respect your interests. So you know if that if that underlying theme is is self trust, then I say you know trust your interests to provide you with some of these powerful models, um, at least to start, you know, so, so you see athletes and either, even like big sports fans that use sports metaphors to get them through life, um, to, to make management decisions. Um, like big gamers that I know, they, they gamify everything in their life and they make it so much easier and enjoyable just by, uh, kind of, um, imagining it as some kind of RPG or something. Um, but then, you know, even, even fiction books or, or movies that, that people relate to, I think, I think these stories provide really, really great foundational mental models, um, and just, you know, how, how to be in the world. Um, so, so, yeah, that's that's my uh, advice is 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 self trust. Last question: I'm always impressed whenever you submit articles to us because you're always quoting and sourcing thinkers like Seneca, Nietzsche, Munger. I mean, all sorts of people. Uh, it's all over the place, and so obviously you're you're well read. How do you read so much, and how do you how do you keep track of what you've read? So 
I read a lot of books because I think everybody reads a lot, but I just prioritize books over um, social media feeds, um, clickbait, and then like bad TV. I, I refuse to watch TV show unless it's like, you know, True Detective or Game of Thrones, basically. Um, and, and that opens up an amazing amount of time. Like everybody reads so many books a year worth of uh, words just in really bad clickbait. Um, and I only read what I'm interested in, so it makes it very easy. Trusting those interests and following them um, makes it so, so it, uh, it's fun to pick up the book and it's not something I have to you know, use willpower to do. Um, and then I think you, you asked about tracking, sorry. Yeah, how do you keep track of all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I really don't. Um, I highlight all of the books or, or you know, uh, have a type of highlighting system. Um, and then books that I really, really care about, I, uh, I put into Evernote. I type up all my notes. Um, but that, that's very few. So, so generally when I'm writing, um, I just kind of remember the gist of some passage in, in a book and I have to go find the book and open pages. Um, it, it's just sift through to try to find it. And so it's huge, huge waste of time. Yeah. That's how we do it around here too. Oh, really? that makes me feel a little bit better because there's some people with such big systems. Yeah. 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 I'm completely inefficient, but whatever. I think that's okay. Yeah. The ones that the important ones pop up. Right. It allows it to stew with all the other stuff in your brain. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that makes it even more uh, organic. And so you get the, the best quotes at the best time. Well, Kyle, this has been a fascinating discussion. Where can people learn more about your work? Sure. Um, startupbros.com. And um, if, especially if they're interested in everything that we've been talking today, probably just Googling Art of Manliness Kyle uh, will get them the, the three articles that we really dug into today. Fantastic. Well, Kyle Eschenroder, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brett. My guest today was Kyle Eschenroder. He's the co-founder and co-owner of the company Startup Bros, where they train individuals how to start their own online business. For more information about his work, you can find that at startupbros.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a review on iTunes. Tell your friends about us. Uh, thank you for all your support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember angie's list is now angie and we're here to get your job done right get started at angie.com that's a-n-g-i or download the app today